0: good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener.
1: Welcome to At Your Service. Brad Young sitting in with you this evening. I appreciate you sticking around, and I I also appreciate Matt Pauly sticking around. And by the way, i got to mention, you can't see this. Obviously, it's radio, but uh, whenever I come into the studio after Matt, Matt is a tall guy. And so I walked up this evening to the desk where we broadcast, and it's like up to my chin. <laughs> you know, I, I felt like Hervé Villachez telling Ricardo Maltibon to look at the plane because I was so short compared to the desk. So I had to lower the desk uh, because he's a tall guy. So uh, anyway, just give you that as a visual. Hey, Matt, uh, thanks for sticking around. You bet. Glad to be here. I wanted to talk to you just for a minute, even though I know you're you put in a long day and it's time to go home, but... Uh, you were talking about Devontae Adams, and I wanted to dive into this because there are a lot of legal issues here that are beyond the criminal. But first of all, have you ever seen the movie The Fortune Cookie? I don't think so. Oh, it's a great movie. It's an old movie. It's, it's older than I am, but it's it's got Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau. Okay. And the plot of this movie is that Jack Lemmon is holding a microphone on the side of a football stadium. And he gets hit by a lineman while he's holding the microphone. And he goes down, and his brother-in-law is a shyster plaintiff's attorney. And they convince him to try to make a claim against the football team. And so they're trying to scam because there's nothing wrong with him, and he's wearing collars, and there's <laughs> PI guys following him, and there's nothing wrong with them. And it's, a, it's an excellent movie, but it's literally this story. Mm-hmm. But so as as I understand it, uh, Devontae Adams was coming off the field. That was the, the game was still in progress? Game okay. was over. He was the walking into the locker room. Okay, so he's walking in, and the photographer was still on the field. He w- it was so it was
3: off the field, but it was kind of in the uh, like the the walkway to. The locker room, so just off the field, but before you've gone through the tunnel to get into the, you know, underneath the stadium.
1: And and was the photographer blocking Devontae Adams?
3: Yes, and it looked, so there's a few different angles out there. I saw an angle on Twitter today that actually kind of backs up because Devontae Adams said, well, this guy walked out in front of me, and the video that you see from the TV broadcast, it just looks like the photographer is just standing there and he just shoves him. I saw a social media video today where it did look like the photographer was kind of moving and walking and walked into the pathway of Adams just before he got there.
1: Uh, one, one more question. Did look, was the photographer, because I read about this story, but I didn't see it. So was the photographer taking pictures no. of Adams? No. It wasn't I don't like think he was, so. It wasn't like he was paparazzi no. trying to get into his
3: face and stuff. No, nope. He right? was just kind of, I think he was probably going to wherever he goes when a game comes to an end. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Heading to, heading to get a, a, a cool one. Right. So... But, but here's what's going to happen. I can tell you exactly what's going to happen with this. And this stuff is fascinating. But uh, we, we know that criminal charges have been filed. You, pre- you accurately predicted that uh, it's probably going to be pled down or it's going to go away. The criminal thing isn't going to be a big deal. You're exactly right. And Devontae Adams, he's not going to be doing a perp walk in Kansas City, you know, showing up with shackles. That's never going to happen. This is a minor offense. It'll be handled by lawyers. But here's what I think is interesting the photographer is going to file a workers' compensation claim Hmm. for getting hit because he was in the scope and course of his duty, all right? I'm just going to walk you through this. Scope and course of his duty, he was hit by the football player, and it wasn't premeditated by the photographer. He didn't start a fight. He wasn't trying to get in Devontae's face. So he's going to file a comp claim, and then they're going to file a lawsuit against Devontae Adams. So you got a comp claim, you've got a civil case, and you've got a criminal case. So let me ask you this. I don't know if this em-
3: photographer was employed full-time, but a lot of photographers out there work on a freelance
1: basis. Yes. if he's an independent contractor. Yeah, does that impact that? He can't file a comp claim if okay. he's an independent contractor. So if that's the case, then he would only have the lawsuit action available to him, which I promise you he will pursue.
3: Unless they just come to an agreement of, well, Devontae Adams will pay you X amount of dollars for
1: this to just go away. Right. But keep yeah. in mind, that doesn't impact the criminal case because you can't technically get out of a criminal case by settlement of a civil case. OK. So the criminal case, in other words, what it could happen is this. The photographer could say, Devontae, you pay me hundred grand, and not only will that take care of my injuries, but I'll agree that I won't cooperate with the police. OK, they could do that. But that doesn't end the police investigation because the police could still, because there's video, there's audio perhaps, they could still prosecute Adams even without the participation of the photographer. So even if a civil case settles, that doesn't necessarily mean that the criminal case goes away. So you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. You
3: don't have to file a police report, but once you do as an individual, it's out of your hands. The police can then go do whatever they want.
1: Yeah, I mean, he could. the photographer could show up in court and say— Money, okay, sir. What did Devonte Adams do to you? Money, you know, or lawyer, or he could just ignore them. He can completely not cooperate with the police, but because there's secondary evidence available, the police don't have to have the photographer's participation, and they can prosecute him based upon the evidence that they have. Now it's going to be a misdemeanor. It's all going to go away with a fine. He's going to plead down to a muffler violation on on the team bus, okay? And it's going to disappear. It's not going to go anywhere. He's going to pay a fine and court costs. But the real money here is in the civil case. Yeah. And that's where this photographer, I promise you, uh, is going to pursue something against Devonte Adams and he's going to get some money. We're never going to know because there's going to be a non-disclosure agreement built into the settlement contract. But there will be something here. In a civil matter,
3: and the photographer immediately said that he was injured.
1: Oh, so. of course he did. Yeah,
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and if you go back and watch the watch the movie The Fortune Cookie, Jack Lemmon is saying, "You know, I'm not really hurt." Walter Matthau's going, "No, be quiet, man. You're you're terribly injured. You're terribly injured." So, um, uh, the, you know, the first number that that photographer called was uh, you know, one eight hundred. I'm hurt. Yeah, is the number that he called. That was the that was the first thing he did. I can promise you. But I didn't know some of those facts, so I wanted to get some of those from you. So I won't keep you any longer, but thank you so much for sticking around. You bet. Glad to do it. Matt Pauly. Hey, thank you, man. You're a stand-up guy. Appreciate it. Hey, we're going to take a break here. Coming up after the break, we're going to talk to a friend of the show, uh, Dr. Ryan Ogliori, astrophysicist. And we're going to talk about the DART mission nasa's cr- crashing spacecraft into asteroids what's the point point? and will this prevent any future bruce willis saves the universe movies we're gonna have to stick around and listen to what dr Ogliori has to say next at your service KMOX. x brad young stick
0: around
2: call from mom answer it call silenced
0: instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game
1: Welcome back to At Your Service. And I, as I mentioned before the break, the DART mission, it was launched last year to test, really to test a, a theory that we can nudge a killer asteroid out of the way in the event one is heading towards the Earth. Now, we know that the DART spacecraft impacted the asteroid last week, but was it successful? And in fact, we didn't know anything about this until today. So to answer this and many more of my my, of my nerd questions, because I just love these kinds of conversations. I reached out to a friend of the show, astrophysicist Dr. Ryan Ogliori, PhD. He's assistant professor of physics at Washington University. Hey, Dr. Ogliori, thanks again for uh, joining us on Camel X.
2: Yeah, great to be back. Thank you.
1: Uh, before we get into the specifics of what we learned today, just Kind of give us a a refresher course on a level that we can understand uh, about the general idea behind the DART mission.
2: Yeah, so the idea, as you said, is right. So this is a planetary defense mission. Um, The primary objective is to protect us humans from an asteroid headed our way. We don't have um, a, a great engineered solution for that. All these things kind of seem simple. We've seen movies about this before. But the reality of it needs to be tested so that was the goal of this mission about 320 million dollars so pretty cheap in uh in the guise of space missions uh and there's some cool secondary science that comes out of this too about impacts and how asteroids are put together the kind of material properties and that stuff is interesting to me, too, as
1: well. Oh, sure. And, and you mentioned the movies. And, and listen, Armageddon is one of my favorite movies, even though there's no science in that absolutely whatsoever. <laughs> uh, but uh, but in, in those kinds of Hollywood movies, uh, asteroids are blown up with, with a nuclear detonation. But obviously that introduces, in real life, a host of new issues. Does this DART mission, this idea of nudging an asteroid with a spacecraft, Does that represent a safer choice to protecting the planet?
2: Yeah, I think it's a better way to go. Granted, you can do it far enough in advance. So we need enough uh, advance warning to see something headed our way. And given that, uh, a kinetic, as they say, a kinetic impactor, it's just an object moving at, you know, very fast speeds in space, like five miles a second. If we have enough time uh, then this is the right way to go and we move it just a little bit and it's got a long Mm -hmm. essentially a long lever arm that we move it a little bit very far from earth and over the course of of, you know a few years by the time or six months or a couple years by the time it gets to earth it will have missed her so that that's the ideal thing granted we can see it far enough in advance and that works for asteroids The thing that scares me more are long period comets coming in from the Oort cloud because they they're very dark. They come at us very, very fast. And something like this, maybe I don't know, it might not work.
1: (laughs) So so to put it in baseball terms, instead of it being an off speed pitch from an asteroid, this is a fast ball that we just don't see coming.
2: That's right. Yeah, and so it's coming from far away, and it's got this long orbit, and it's it's relatively dark. And comets get brighter as they get closer to the sun, but they also get faster. So that's like the that's the real threat to me. Um, but as we saw with this Dart mission, it was very cool. So we hit the asteroid, and then we got a little bonus boost from it because it, it had this jetting effect, and a comet would have even more of that. And I think that was one of the coolest things we learned from that. That you know, if the body's icy, we get a little boost from it because it kind of has its own rockets that really help us um, move its trajectory even more. And I think that's probably the most important thing we learned from this.
1: We're, we're talking to astrophysicist Dr. Ryan Ogliori from Washington University, and we did see last week when the impact happened, and and we got to see some very cool video as as the DART spacecraft was was making that kinetic impact uh, with the asteroid. But what information did we learn today?
2: Yeah, so today I think uh, the news that came out today is that it moved the orbit by, you know, two to three times more than they thought it would. So this is, the DART stands for double Asteroid. So this is uh, a smaller asteroid orbiting a bigger asteroid. And the reason that this spacecraft targeted that was that we could see very, very small changes in its orbit more easily because we, we can calculate that orbit around that larger asteroid. So that's about 12 hours. And, you know, we thought it might change that orbit by 10 minutes if we're fortunate, if we hit it right in the middle. Um, but it changed it by more like 30, 32 minutes. So it was even more than we thought, which is great news.
1: Right. So explain what that means because as I was reading that, I, I think the asteroid that the Dart spacecraft impacted was called dimorphous, but it yep. as you mentioned, it it shortened uh it, it shortened that orbit or its trajectory rather by thirty two minutes instead of ten minutes. But what does that mean in layman's terms? In other words, why was this such a success?
2: Yeah, it seems like a relatively simple physics problem. This is why I like this stuff so much because it seems so simple at the at the surface, like I'm hitting an object with another object and, you know, going back to intro physics, we're transferring momentum. It's mass times its velocity vector, um, but it's way more complicated than that because the material properties of the asteroid matter, if it has ice beneath its surface, other things like that will cause pluming and what we call impact jetting, and this can either add or possibly take away from that momentum transfer. So it's this beautifully complicated problem that seems simple on the surface and could lead to an effect that's three times larger than we thought based off of like the physics we knew at the time. So it was surprising. It was surprising in a good way. And it tells us lots about asteroids, too, which I like to hear Hmm.
1: as well. (laughs) Whenever we talk about trajectories, I'm reminded in in the 1980s, uh, there was a Korean Airlines aircraft that mistakenly flew uh, over the Soviet Union and it was shot down. And I remember reading about this aircraft because it had the smallest, minutest error in its, in its guidance system. But when you mm-hmm. multiply that over 2,000 miles of a trip, that small, minute error became a very large trajectory miscalculation uh, because of the distance involved. So when we, when you're talking about the situation where uh, uh, the trajectory of an asteroid is going to be altered, even though it seems like it may be a small amount, over a distance, that's going to get larger and larger, isn't it?
2: That's right. So we need to move it by thousands of miles, 10,000 miles by the time it gets to Earth. And if we can hit it, you know, uh, very far away, it's essentially that, that long triangle with that long leg being the distance from us to the asteroid and so that's why uh, a relatively simple mission like this will work as long as we can detect these things early and that's the hard part because we can't just kind of see them accidentally you know it's not gonna be like in the movies where somebody in their backyard spots these things (laughs) with their telescope because they're small and they're dark and they're moving close to the Sun And they're very hard to see. So there are new telescopes coming online that are specifically dedicated to planetary defense. Shockingly, this is a relatively new um, uh, priority for NASA, um, defending our home planet, which seems like a good idea. Um, so as long as we have that, we're doing okay. And again, that's why the, the Oort cloud comets are, are the real threat to me, I think.
1: Mm, I understand that. So we're, we're talking to astrophysicist Dr. Ryan Ogliori from Washington University. And, and in the couple of minutes we have left here, Doctor, I wanted to switch topics slightly because you and I, we've talked about the James Webb Telescope on several occasions, but the original space telescope, Hubble, it's still out there getting it done. But is there a problem right now with the orbit of Hubble?
2: Yeah, so Hubble um, is orbiting around the Earth, unlike James Webb, which is um, orbiting the sun and further from the Earth. And so anything that orbits the Earth, you know, the atmosphere just doesn't end suddenly. It's kind of a, a gradient. So there's a little bit of atmospheric gases where Hubble is orbiting, and that's causing it uh, drag on the, on the telescope and causing that orbit to decay. And so that happens naturally. And back when we had uh, the space shuttle, We would go up and attach the space shuttle to Hubble and fire the shuttle's thrusters and move that orbit back up to its nominal altitude, which is about 350 miles. Um, So since 2010, I think, is when the the shuttle um, was decommissioned. 2009 was the last mission to to Hubble. So since then, it's degraded a bit. And If we don't do anything about it, we'll lose Hubble in uh, 10 years or so, end of next decade. So um, there, there needs to be some kind of fix, else we will lose the Hubble Space Telescope, which really is a complement to James Webb, right. and James Webb isn't meant to replace Hubble.
1: Right, because we, we've talked before, they, the, the James Webb really operates on different wavelengths than does Hubble.
2: That's right, yeah. James Webb um, looks mostly in the infrared, so these are longer wavelengths. And we see these really cool pictures from James Webb that look sharper. Sometimes you can see comparisons between Hubble and James Webb, and that's because James Webb can see through the dust. That longer wavelength light can see through the dust where the Hubble sees the dust, but it also can see some different physics, different processes that James Webb can't see. So we really need both of them to do the best science.
1: Now, I understand that NASA is actually maybe at the very beginning stages of talking to SpaceX. What do you know about what's being discussed with SpaceX?
2: Yeah, so I think the idea is to kind of have SpaceX do what the space shuttle Atlantis did in 2009. So they would go up there, possibly with a crew, um, and attach um, the Dragon capsule to the Hubble Space Telescope and lift it back up to that orbit of about 350 miles. It's about 320 miles right now, or 330. So. Um, basically that SpaceX dragon, uh, dragon capsule would take the place of the space shuttle mm-hmm. to do that lift maneuver. And, of course, there's an enormous amount of engineering involved, and that's what they're going to do over the next few months and figure out if this is possible. And if they need a crew up there, I imagine they do. I can't picture <laughs> how they do it without a crew um, to do that. Uh, and you, you, if you remember the Hubble servicing missions um, from the 90s, um, those guys trained and women trained for many, many months to do that. So it was an incredibly complicated thing and I hope that these uh, it's called Polaris. so the Polaris is the, the crude type of mission that uh, SpaceX would enlist to do that. I hope they would do the same kind of training.
1: Is there any possibility that Bruce Willis could be on that flight? <laughs> um,
2: I, I mean, William Shatner went up Blames. and uh, Jeff Bezos, and <laughs> so uh, anything's possible, Anything I guess. Anything
1: is possible. And, and, and Dr. Oglieri, thank you so much for taking time with us. But if this is successful, let's just uh, spitball here for a moment. If we can use a SpaceX craft like the space shuttle and move this up into a higher orbit, would that then extend the lifetime of the Hubble Space Telescope?
2: yeah it would give us you know twenty thirty more years wow. um and this thing can do such fast science, and just like James Webb, like astronomers like me uh, apply for time for Hubble, and like I want two days on Hubble, and I could do all this amazing science, so it would take me three years to publish all this, so it can work so fast, it's still cutting edge and I really hope they can do it.
1: Well, me too. And I'm thrilled that you take the time to talk to us Dr. Ogliori. Of course you're with uh, uh, Washington University, uh, an astrophysicist there. Thank you so much for taking time with us this evening here on Camoax. Great, thank you, Red. Uh, I want to open the phone lines up. We're going to go to a break here, but what do you think about this these two things that we talked about were defending the planet but from asteroids we're sending maybe sending up a a SpaceX craft to push Hubble into a higher orbit these are really cool things and they're happening right now in real life what do you think about that 314-436-7900 call or text at your service Brad Young in with you this evening don't go away And I think it's gonna be a long, long time. The touchdown brings me around again to find I'm
0: not
3: the man they
1: think I am. At oh no no. I'm a rock It's man. Yes, a folks. Man. William Shatner singing David Bowie's Rocket Man. Oh, I'm sorry, what's that? Uh, yeah, Elton John's a Rocket Man. I'm sorry, he said David Bowie. As Elton John's Rocket Man. So he is actually singing this. If, if, if you don't believe me, go to Google, put in William Shatner, Rocket Man. It is one, it's a train wreck. It's one of the funniest things you will ever see. And William Shatner's playing the straight. He doesn't understand that this is buffoonery in action. He doesn't get that. And you've got to see it. It's, it is truly amazing. Of course, don't go watch it now you could, because you're listening to Camo X. But later, of course, you you can do that. Uh, and since uh, hey, Brad Young, with you at your service. Since Doctor Ogliori mentioned uh, Rocket Man, I thought we would uh, I thought we'd come out of the break with that. Uh, but one of the other things I want to mention is when we were talking to Doctor Ogliori, of course, we had to mention Armageddon. I just I love that movie. And if you don't remember the gist of the movie from Armageddon, maybe this will refresh your memory.
0: It's a meteor shower. This new one you're tracking. How big? It's what we call a global killer. Nothing would survive, not even bacteria. The United States government just asked us to save the
3: world. Anybody want to say no? You think we'll get hazard pay out of this? They'll do it. They've made a few requests, though. Such as? Oscar here has got some outstanding parking tickets. And <laughs> Max would like <laughs> you to bring back eight-track tapes sure if that's gonna work yeah one more thing um none of them want to pay taxes again ever
1: (laughs) nobody wants to pay taxes again ever you know i I, armageddon is is to me like uh it's just such a again over the top there's no science in that movie but it's just so fun it's like i i I heard bruce willis he was on saturday night live once kind of parroting his own character and And he was supposed to be uh, uh, in the special operation forces for the army. And he was asked, you know, how would he take out the terrorists? And he said, well, why don't you just kick in the door and say, hey, did anybody order a pizza? I mean, you know, that's just that's just funny when when uh, when Bruce Willis does it, uh, even though it's not real, obviously, in any way. One thing that is real, I like uh, to talk about stuff that's topical. And yesterday was the anniversary of the first episode of Saturday Night Live. Now, I don't I don't know if you like SNL. I've always been a big fan, although in recent years it's, it's not very funny, but I still always give it a shot instead of just saying, oh, that's terrible, but never seeing it. And it's obviously gotten worse over the years, but occasionally there are uh, nuggets of hilarity on Saturday Night Live. But this, the, the first episode, 1975, yesterday was actually the anniversary, October 11. But uh, listen, here's a trivia question. If you know, call or text. Uh, and the prize here, the prize is, is a shout-out from me and my unending gratitude. But uh, two quick questions. Can you name the very first host of Saturday Night Live? And secondly, who has hosted the most episodes who's been the most frequent host. Now don't Google it. Everybody knows how to Google it. That's that's not fair. Uh, just if you know, let me know. The first guest or who uh, hosted the most, 314-436-7900. One of the other stories, and while we're waiting uh, for some answers on that, one of the stories that I've been following, and if you've heard me here on Camel X, I've been following this since the lawsuit was filed My goodness, Uh, 2015, 2016, the Rams, the lawsuit by St. Louis versus the Rams. Now, if you've heard my analysis on this before, you'll recall that uh, my first reaction was I didn't think it would go anywhere because I assumed that there was an arbitration clause. The attorneys got the arbitration clause thrown out, and they won literally at every juncture. St. Louis won every motion in every court whether it was state court, city local court, even up to the Supreme Court. They won at every level. And when the case settled for about $760 million, give or take, uh, with $259 million of that being in attorney's fees, I thought they should have held out for more. I thought they could have easily gotten over a billion dollars from this, but Listen, the clients, as I know in my law practice, the clients make the determination as to when to settle. That's a client-driven decision, not an attorney-driven decision. So if the client wants to settle, then the attorney says, let's settle. That's the way it's got to go. But what's interesting is even though this case settled almost a year ago, What has happened to that? And we're going to talk it's $515 million after attorney's fees and expenses. What's been happening with that? And thankfully, we've just finally got some information on this. And, folks, this just drives home the idea that government cannot make good decisions. Hold that thought. I got a couple of texts in on the uh, Saturday Night Live question. One person said, Tom Hanks? He uh, the most, and then uh, no, and then I got another person texted in, George Carlin. So, yes, George Carlin uh, has was the first host. He hosted it uh, in 1975, October 11, but we still don't know who has hosted the most. Now, Tom Hanks was the answer of who hosted the most. He has hosted it many times, but he is not the leader in uh, in hosting Saturday Night Live, so... I uh, keep those uh, calls and texts coming. We'll we'll get back to that. But going back to the to the RAM story. This money has been sitting in in what is essentially a passbook savings account. I mean, if you if you've got just a regular old checking account, you know what kind of interest you get on that? You get nothing. Or you know, maybe a couple of pennies. You get virtually no interest. No interest in a regular old checking account. And so this $515 million for a year has been sitting in a, a checking account earning no interest. Now, the parties are St. Louis County, St. Louis City, and what's called the RSA, which is uh, the board that operates uh, the Dome. Those are the three plaintiffs. Uh, another text here, hold that thought. John Goodman hosts the most Good guess. He's hosted it a lot of times. He's actually in the five-timers club, but no, he's not hosted it the most. Uh, George Carlin was the first, but we still need an answer on who hosted it uh, Saturday Night Live the most. But with the Rams, it's costing $14,000 a day in lost interest. And I'm not talking about taking this money and buying something speculative. The the RSA board, which runs the dome, wants to put this money into U.S. government bonds, which is the safest investment on the planet. Government bonds, treasury bills from the U.S. government that pay three and a half percent interest, which is better than zero, which is what the actually they're getting about one percent interest now. Three and a half interest, three point five percent interest. And because The government has failed to do that. And and make no mistake, this is truly the government. It's costing you and I $14,000 a day just because they don't know where to put the money. Oh, that's so frustrating. Another text in uh, Alec Baldwin as the most host. Uh, You are correct. It's uh, Alec Baldwin has hosted it 17 times we got a text coming in here, and I know some folks have been calling in, but I literally just got the text, and the text was the fastest. Uh, he texted, he hosted Saturday Night Live 17 times. Steve Martin was a very close second at 15 times, and hopefully he won't retire anytime soon. He says he's going to retire next year, but, you know, we'll see. Uh, Tom Brady said he was going to retire too, didn't he? But uh, but St. Louis Mayor Tashara Jones and the St. Louis County Executive Sam Page Will not agree to move this money into uh, government backed securities, U.S. government backed securities. Won't allow them to do that. So, because of government bureaucracy, which one person texted in and said, dysfunctional government, that's what always happens. You're exactly right. That's what always happens. Now, here's the thing that I did not know we had kind of assumed that this money was going to get split three ways between the city and the county. And the board that operates the dome, no, apparently there's no agreement on how to split the $515 million. Now, listen, if you want to f- to find out how people squabble over money, share an inheritance with them. You know, if somebody dies and doesn't leave a will, people are, you know, coming out of the woodwork. Second cousins, three times removed, are fighting over the cash, And that's essentially what we have here. We've got Tashara Jones, we've got Sam Page, and the board that operates the Dome all fighting over who should get the most amount of money. Now, get this. The St. Louis Business Journal reported that the city of St. Louis was seeking two-thirds of that $515 million, arguing that it was the most damaged by the loss of game day revenue downtown. But what idiots didn't agree on how to split the money At the beginning of the litigation, when everybody's all happy and friends and we're we're all in this together and we're going to go fight the Rams, we're going to go fight Stan Kroenke, that's when you figure out how to split the money, not when your money comes in and then all of a sudden they're all fighting again like relatives fighting over the last piece of turkey on Thanksgiving. $515 million. They're not going to do anything with it until they figure out how to divide it, which is going to take a long time. And in the meantime, they're squandering our money because the government has no money. Every dollar that the government has, my friends, is your money. It's your money. And they're losing it at the rate of $14,000 a day because they can't figure out how to say yes to buying a treasury bill. Folks, that is government in action. Hey, we're going to take a break here. We'll be back in just a minute. Uh, the, uh, I did have a couple of people texted in. Steve Martin was the most. Well, he came in again. He came in second. But then the person says on the text line, he may not have been the most, but he was one of the best. And that, that is undeniable. Brad Young at your service. We'll be right back. I was uh, swapping some texts with the winner that said Alec Baldwin has uh, posted the most. And he said, awesome. I answered the question, not even thinking if there was a prize involved, is there? And so I wrote back and I said, yes, there is a prize. You have won my everlasting gratitude. So you have absolutely gotten that. Uh, whoever you may be, there's not a name there on the phone. But thank you. Thank you very much for uh for participating in the topic or on the topic of government and money. First of all, go- government has no idea how to handle any amount of money, whether it's hundreds of dollars, millions of dollars, billions, or even trillions. They've, they've got no clue. The Government has no clue. And just to prove this, whenever you hear, particularly in election season, when you hear, Folks, particularly progressives on the left, talking about the rich aren't paying their fair share and you need to pay more in taxes and we need uh, there's always a clamoring for more money, more money, more money. And then it comes out last week that the national debt, not the budget deficit on a year by year basis, but the total amount of indebtedness for the United States government is thirty one trillion dollars. $31 trillion. Now, if you you hear that and you hear that we're in debt that much money, the question arises, well, are, are we not collecting enough in taxes? Is that the reason why? Our government is in so much debt. You know, if if you've got if you can't make the mortgage payment, then the question becomes, you know, have you lost your job? Have you gotten your hours cut? Have you taken a pay cut? You know, what's happened? So I actually looked this up today. And the federal government, in the in the first eleven months of fiscal twenty twenty two that runs October of last year through August, the government set an all time record. For tax revenue collected, so they co- the government collected four point four trillion dollars in taxes, four point four trillion dollars, and that's just in eleven months. So there's another month to go before we can uh, uh, see if this is going to be, and we know it will be, a record-setting year for the collection of taxes. But it's also a record-setting year for the giving away of money. And that's why we're at $31 trillion in debt. It has nothing to do with how much our government has collected. They've set an all-time record in how much money has been collected. But no matter how much you collect, if you spend like a drunken sailor, and I know when I say that, I'm, I'm, I'm really putting down both the alcohol business and uh, the Naval Service, but if you spend like a drunken sailor, comparing them to, you know, the U.S., the federal government, of course, we're going to go deeper and deeper in debt. And, folks, this is another thing that no one talks about. No one talks about this because interest rates are going up. And you know that if you have to borrow money to buy a house or buy a car, it just costs more money. And so either you have to spend more to get the same product buy something less or don't buy anything at all. But the dirty little secret that no one ever talks about is when interest rates go up, that means the national debt, the interest payments that service that debt also goes up. It also goes up. So if we're going to be paying more money in interest because of the rising interest payments, that leaves less money For national defense, that leaves less money. For Social Security, it leaves less money for distribution to build highways and bridges and all of the things that we have to have to make this country operate on a daily basis just because of increased rates. So I don't understand how the left can say that the so-called rich are not paying their fair share if the rich are paying record amounts in taxes, Because only the top 50, the the, the bottom 50% of all taxpayers pay nothing. They pay zero in income tax. And the top 50% pay all the taxes. In fact, the top, I forgot the number, the top 5% of wage earners pay almost 50% of all income tax. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you say, well, the rich aren't paying their fair share. Yes, they are. They're Number one, they're paying more than fair share, and they're paying at rates that are record-setting tax collection for the U.S. government. The problem is not raising money, my friends. The problem is spending. And I've got about 15 texts that have come in the last two minutes that are all saying the exact same thing. The government takes in more than it spends. The debt has increased more than 20% in two years. Um If a guy, person texted in, I'm a fiscal conservative, and there's a simple way of saving. That means uh, cut taxes. Exactly, exactly. Hey, we've got more stuff to go through in the next hour. I hope you stick around. Brad Young here at your service. In the next hour, we're even going to talk to Joe Holloman of the Post Dispatch. Stick around. We'll be right back.